Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to oddreflections.com. I'm your host, Brian, and with me is my new friend, Scott. Scott is... Well, let Scott tell you about Scott. Scott, tell us about Scott. Hi, Brian. <laughs> tell, what should I say about myself? <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Is that Los Angeles there behind you? Yeah, yeah, but I can't see your screen either. Okay, that looks like a picture of Los Angeles <laughs> and Scott. I believe it is. I can't see it right now, but I believe it is. Okay. I don't know how to make my screen big again. I suppose I should stop sharing my screen. This part might get Oh, oh. Um, Or perhaps not. I don't know. See how... Yes, I've totally ruined it now. The intro was good. Um, so, Los Angeles, California. I've been to Los Angeles, but I was mostly down near the beach. But you live in... Tell I live up in the hills. Hollywood Hills. Not that's far right. from the sign, right? Uh, that's right. There's a lot of crazy houses up there. Up in a windy canyon road. Here we'd call them a holler, but you call them canyons. Is that correct? That is, that is correct. Correct. It is, we are in a canyon, which is a holler, only without trees. <laughs> Scrubby dry brush that catches on fire, apparently. How are you I've dealing with the fires out there in California? Oh, I'm breathing still. That's actually, today wasn't bad. Today was actually a clear sky day, so That's I nice. think it must have gotten blown somewhere else. So, yeah. Are they dying down? Do you think, or is what's the scuttlebutt out there? I, I don't know. They weren't predicted to, but um, for whatever reason, you could see the sky when you looked up today, which is novel. Was the uh, sunset and sunrise? I guess you don't see much of a sunrise. The sunset brighter orangey-ish than usual i guess if it was blowing yeah. inland it would have to it be blowing been. out to sea yeah i think I th dust today was very hot okay it was, it was about 95 today and i think it might have been blown out by the winds so maybe <laughs> okay. that might have been why it was clear okay that's cool so hollywood tell us about hollywood what's going out in hollywood not a whole lot right now uh it's kind of everybody's locked down like everywhere else um it's been a strange year for Hollywood. There have been uh, some strikes going on previously. Uh, writers type of writer's strike, a form of writer's strike. Um, writers striking from agents. And then a lot of agencies have subsequently had massive layoffs. So it was an odd year before COVID, and COVID effectively shut everything down. Um, I think they might be trying to reboot a little bit, but it's still most of the stuff in Los Angeles is still pretty locked down. They had like an aborted opening maybe a month or two ago, maybe two months ago. Yeah, opening shut up things back then. the city itself or filming or? I think they tried both. I mean, I know that restaurants were open for a bit with, you know, in, uh, in a kind of limited capacity, um, you know, like, one sixth capacity or something like that. And then they, I'm not sure if they're still open, but they had moved it back to, you can only have outdoor restaurants. I think they might still be open. And I think they're something going on where they have some streets shut down according to Google maps. Although I haven't been venturing out very much. Is it the mass exodus? Some people are talking about on the internet from Los Angeles. It seems to be from my limited kind of uh, exposure to the city over the past few months. Um, up here in this area, Hollywood, it's, well, yeah, a lot of for rent signs, which is highly unusual, like pretty much every building. 
uh, a lot of for sale signs. Although they seem to be selling still, but there's a lot of um, people selling on what the deal is with that. But rents definitely seem to be moving out. And when the prices? They've gone down for rents. I don't know about houses, probably not. But rents have, for here, have dropped quite a bit. Maybe I've seen, you know, what's unusual is you're seeing prices on signs. They usually haven't done that or at least not in a while, long while. Um, so you start to see, you know, prices there and balloons up and opening specials and all these kind of um, things that we haven't seen in a long time, probably at least 15 years. In 2006, my apartment was 800 or 900 for one bedroom, one uh, small bathroom, regular sized kitchen and a living room. Um, what's, uh, what's that go for up there in Hollywood now? Um, it depends where you are, where I am up kind of towards the hills is traditionally more expensive because there aren't that many apartments and it don't tend to be that big. They're older. I, I, but I've seen the, the only prices I've seen were for one bedrooms and they were, uh, about six fifteen or 1600 a month, which is probably at least 20% lower than they were you know, pre like six months ago. Okay. 20%. That's quite a lot. Yeah. yeah and that's that, you know, they're still there okay. <laughs> and they're not getting snapped up. <laughs> so wow, that's significant. Hmm. So you yeah, had second guests here, but if you heard that, but... yeah, there's cat. <laughs> Sorry about that. She wants to be a star. She does podcast star cat. <laughs> What's the general vibe like out there? Is it uh when you do go out to the store, like uh, you see anything crazy or anything? I haven't been. Um, I'm probably about 15 minute walk from Hollywood and Vine, um, which saw quite a few protests. Um, whatever that was, about uh, whatever May. What was it? I guess it early June, so almost over two months ago now. Um, two and a half months, I guess. So that area had probably about a month's worth of protests of varying sizes, some really large, some smaller. Uh, it had all been boarded up during that period. Pretty much everything had been shut down for a couple of weeks um, and a lot of spray painting, that sort of thing. And, and then it opened up um, and it's been fairly calm since then. Um, uh, is, is the homeless situation seems to have just gotten worse it seems like it, in the absence of people there have been even more a kind of expansion of homeless encampments which is a rather ext- extreme situation if you haven't actually been to los angeles in the past five years it looks something like a third world country in some areas um it's uh, quite astonishing i was surprised to see homeless as in downtown Lexington near the library when I first moved back to Lexington in 2015. That seemed new. Um, when I was out in Los Angeles, I saw a lot around uh, Santa Monica and right outside my apartment on uh, Cherry Avenue on occasion. Actually, quite yeah, often. You, yeah, um, you see quite a bit uh, these days. Just in any underpass, there's people living in tents. Um, a lot younger than they used to be. I mean, I, it seems like the average age that is is probably 20s. Um, and a lot of very open uh, drug use, um, a lot of 
needle drug use, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just, uh, there's apparently now there's very, it's very difficult for the police to, um, remove anybody and even, you know, just take them to shelters or anything like that. There it doesn't seem to have been a lot of movement towards building more shelters for whatever reason, like they have another city. So I'm not sure what's going on. It's just, just a very, I was looking on Google bleak. street view, just to, like around Skid Row and for blocks and blocks around it, you just saw tents and people with yeah. shopping carts. Just you, yeah. you hop on Google street view, just drop down anywhere around Skid Row and you'll see yeah, it, it used to be only certain areas, and now it's like everywhere is Skid Row. It's it's um, That's disturbing. just a very you know it's just a very sad situation, and I mean it's it's the politicians. What do they say about that? Not much. I mean, I, I think part of the problem is that they're blaming it on housing costs and things like that. Housing costs haven't really gone up that dramatically in the period with you know not certainly not on the same level as and you think homeless. if they were getting housing <clears throat> cost tax revenue they could actually do something with you would, you would think if housing was going up their tax revenue from property would go up yeah i mean there's probably a I, i'm sure it's a complex issue i know part of it is nobody wants the to low-income housing in their neighborhood they don't want homeless housing in their neighborhood but at the same time there doesn't seem to be a lot of movement towards solutions in that regard i guess um, there's issues of whether or not people want to live in, in housing or, you know, because, uh, you know, there's certain rules that they don't necessarily want to hear to. There's a lot of drug use that wouldn't be allowed necessarily in housing. So I think it's a complicated issue, but it probably, and it, uh, you know, I don't know what the solution is, but it's doesn't seem to be getting better. We've talked um, about a lot of weird stuff. Have we, have, I don't think I've gotten your take on drug legalization. Uh, I'm always been for drug legalization. I don't see the, yeah. I don't see the use in putting people in jail for addiction or even just right. recreational usage. It just, I, I know that there's been a lot of people here in California that have thought that because there've been decriminalization of most drugs, that that's led to, um, the loss of leverage for the police. You know, when people mm -hmm. to to kind of coerce people into treatment. But it doesn't seem like it's a very effective system, no. even to you know when there are very harsh penalties for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In other words, you know, like I, I don't know. I I I personally don't think that's a solution. It seems very cruel and seems uh, quite unnecessary. The war on drugs just seems to have been a failure. Absolutely. It just if you can take a pen and manufactured for 15 cents and sell it for $2,000. There's no way, there's nothing in the world that can stop that market. Yeah. I mean, and people that would rather live on the street in a tent and go to the bathroom in the road yeah. and go to a shelter. That's, that's a powerful That's a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I think that I, I don't, Oops, I don't know what the solution is, but uh, you know, I, I feel like you at least need to give some sort of attention towards how legalization could be implemented in a way that would free up resources. Yeah, I, I think people just don't don't have an imagination for what else is possible, even when they're faced with a something that's clearly 
clearly not working. Um, yeah. But that, I mean, you, we need innovative people in office, not people who don't even talk about it because they don't know what to say. I don't think they yeah. think that far. Like they're no, very I, I don't think they do either. I agree. I mean, it seems like there's not a lot of thought putting being put into creative solutions. Um, and I don't see a lot of I guess daylight between the two parties. An answer, because, you know, I mean, I could I think of something, but, you know, there's people that study this a lot more and would know the repercussions of, you know, who, who probably thought out the repercussions of anything that I might offer. But exactly. That, that we need people in there discussing it. You don't even hear it discussed. You just see the result. That's, yeah, that's messed yeah. up. I agree, um, but yeah, it, unfortunately, at this point, I don't see a lot of movement in towards the solution. I see a lot of kind of posturing. Um, people get public getting more fed up. I think that's a dangerous recipe when you have so much uh, kind of crime coming from homelessness. So many, you know, people walking down the street with all sorts of weapons, and you know, just not having any mechanism to. Weapons. What's the craziest thing you've seen a homeless person do? Uh, a number of machetes. Axe. Homeless people with machetes and axes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's it's really <laughs> it's really an interesting situation. I would assume so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they're happening at the same time, but yeah. I mean, it's 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 not a good situation for anybody. Um, I, it, I, I, it's. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's obviously a complex one is something it's hard, you know, it's easy to suggest a, or, or to assume that there's an easy solution and there probably isn't, but uh, I think that we're not getting anywhere close to it. And I think that there are, I mean, it's not just a matter of resources, you know, it, it does seem like they're throwing a lot of resources at, at it in, in a lot of cities. I don't know what the, quite what they're doing with them. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. It seems like the direction they're going is simply decriminalization um, and very little else, which has led to just a situation where police are decriminalization of drug use. That is at the same time, you're not allowed to remove people in public spaces. And, and, you know, the bar keeps going up for what is kind of uh, an yeah. offense that could remove somebody from the sidewalk yeah, and possibly get them into treatment. Yeah, there um, doesn't seem to be a lot of treatment available. Are mental you illness with issues. Rat Park? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be. <laughs> well, no, no, it's actually it was a series of studies into drug addiction. I'm just kind of reading from Wikipedia, but uh, <laughs> uh, conducted in the late 1970s and published between 1978 and 1981 by Canadian psychologist Bruce K. Alexander and his colleagues Simon Fraser at British University of British Columbia in Canada. Um, blah, blah, blah. The bottom line was that rats would, they'd got them hooked on narcotics and they separated them into cages. And when given the option to go out and, but when given the option to get out there and socialize versus stay in their cages and see people, rats out there playing, they would choose to go out and be social rather than sit and do narcotics. Um, I, I think there was some criticism of this, but, uh, you know, take that, give it, give it, take that with a grain of salt, maybe reread that first, but uh, just think of applying that to human beings. Give them, I always thought, uh, give them 
some kind of sense of community in a homeless shelter and organize meetings, that sort of thing, and give them an option to be social and work out their problems, have safe access to whatever their, whatever their drug of choice is in the hopes that they choose, they get a chance to slow down, stop the chase that is addiction, you know, because if they're worried about getting their fix all day, they're not going to have any time to think about what's next in their life. Right. It's just the next hit. So given that option and that opportunity to slow down and think, perhaps they might want to live. And you can't stop somebody from destroying themselves if that's what they want to do. Right. That's, that's the way I see it. And I, I think that's pretty clear. Um, but they have no option, you know, after you're hooked on those things, it's, there's not a lot. Um, I know several drug addiction nurses and they just say that it's, it's hard, um, hard in in isolation probably makes it even worse and i'm sure it you know it's just a spiral in the term in in terms of uh once you're having whatever the problems were in the first place that led to the drug use uh you know once you're on drugs and you're living you know out of kind of you're no longer in a home you no longer have as the kind of a community and you're losing the things that might enable you to get off drug. So it, how do you get to back to the point where you can get that back? Yeah. And then of course, once you're in the criminal justice system, then you have a very difficult time getting a job if you wanted to. Yeah. It's, you know, so you can see how that could rapidly become kind of a, you know, downward spiral or self-reinforcing situation. Um, More people die of, die of drug overdoses a year than in car accidents now. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it, Whatever, there's some sort of crisis there, obviously, that's more than just a crisis of people taking drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once they are on drugs, it's obviously a different situation depending on what drugs they are and what level of you know, addictiveness there is to them. But uh, it does seem that, you know, that what, for, what works about, for, let's say, 12-step programs, and I know it's controversial, what does work about them, but uh, it seems to be the community element there's the... the kind of um, fellowship element to them. And uh, that would make sense that it would be an essential element to anybody's recovery, whether or not, you know, whatever type of help they're getting, just having that kind of reconnection with other people first. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, uh, something that, you know, you and I have been talking about a lot is just communication in society, um, how that's lacking from uh, almost everybody. Yeah, And, you know, that's kind of how, you know, we started uh, something we found that's really freaking fantastic is a method for people that come from a variety of political dispositions or religious or non-religious dispositions to, you know, any place on the spectrum that's, you know, um, something humans often disagree about, but they can all speak civilly. And try to understand one another. And that there's a protocol to doing that that we seem to have forgotten. Like, yeah, I know it, it was a Cato Institute poll. You know, take that with a grain of salt. They're libertarian, but uh, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, a, they're a strong libertarian magazine. 
But you, they did a social survey, and you know I haven't seen their methods, but they've been a publication for a long time. You know, I, I imagine that they know something about conducting a decent social survey. But sixty percent of people are afraid to say what they think. Yeah, doesn't seem healthy. No, um, and I wanted to. I saw my friends extraordinarily depressed and anxious and torn up over the Trump election in 2016. And one of the first things I thought that I never was able to get out of my mouth, I asked several people about their biggest concern of a Trump presidency. And they said, all in one form or another, a Nazi takeover, a Holocaust. And I said, I think that's extreme. What makes you think that? And then I didn't get a satisfactory answer. But after that, I wanted to say that we still have a choice as Americans what happens in society. And that later on, I had the better point realization that what happened in Germany in the 30s could not have happened, would not have happened probably if people weren't afraid to say what they thought. Now, obviously, that would have had to have gotten past or, or stood up before the period where they would get dragged out in the street for uh, being subversive or whatever. But they had it early on before things got that bad. If they had been able to stand up and speak truth to power before that. So we still have, I think it's proven in the last four years, we haven't become a fascist dictatorship. Would you agree? I would agree. <laughs> we're not, we're, not we're, we're still having free conversations. We're not getting dragged out in the street currently. Yeah. Um, and I don't anticipate that in the next few weeks. I hope not. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, if he was a fascist dictator, you probably couldn't get the New York Times to publish what they published about him. That probably yeah. would have gotten shut down, I would imagine, in a fascist world. Um, so we still have a chance. We, we still until we are threatened with life and limb, uh, we can say something about that. Um, the problem is people are afraid to talk and there's no real threat. People are afraid to say what they think for fear of being mislabeled falsely and with unfair criticism, things, horrible things. Um, yeah. Either sexist, racist, semism, um, I don't know. I've been going on for a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very important. We've always known that. And the left's always known that. And the liberal left has always known that, at least, that it's vital to be able to speak your mind. Vital to have freedom of speech, not just in theory, but in practice. Um, I think we're in a very difficult and dangerous time now because of social media, because of this weird ability to speak your voice or just speak your mind, have it heard, but then rated, which we all know is a toxic thing. We mm -hmm. know it's toxic for young people. It's toxic for old people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like immediately to be judged by people you don't know most of the time for not just the content of what you're saying, but the moral character of what you're saying. That's, you know, that's a new thing, I think, in yeah, this that scale. kind of sounds like, you know, being judged by the content of your character, but it's not really. Because people no, misconstrue, misconstrue what you say. 
In so few characters, you know, people are making a snap judgment. I think that's part of the problem. It's not a long form conversation. It's people assuming the worst of somebody. I think, you know, because yeah, it's 40 characters and people can 280 now, but yeah, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's that. And then there's just this, this, that moving in kind of concert with this polarization that's going on, which I think is a kind of, in my mind is a fake polarization. I think we're being conned of being polarized because I don't I see that a lot of daylight between the two parties. I, I see a lot of corporatism. I see a lot of, uh, yeah, very um, cynical politicking that is driven more by donor classes on both sides than actual political philosophies. And yet people are acting in the public as if there's an argument in Washington over actual political philosophies and that these are contrast. These are, you know, there's an extreme contrast between I have not between the two parties. And I, I see that as largely theatrics and at this point at some point scripted theatrics in the part of lobbyists um and so there is a struggle going on but i see it as a struggle for power and access to money more than it is a, an ideological struggle on half the two parties yeah it, and i used to hear like back in the 2000s that you know we'd have these bitter debates um on TV, on Crossfire or whatever, but behind closed doors, they seem to be civil to one another, the politicians on the left and the right on either side of the aisle, that they still would talk to one another. I don't know if that's the case anymore, actually, I, but it depends how cynical you go and how deep the politics are being played. And, you know, it, we really it's can't also, say. It, yeah, it's a, an interesting thing because that, that, there's two ways to look at that. And one of them is that it's, uh, you know, become more polarized because people are more politicians like the public are more polarized on ideological grounds. I don't believe that for a second. I believe that politician politicians are not, I I believe when I, I, when you look at the cares act that passed, you know, whatever March or early April, can you tell me what that is? CARES Act was the, uh, I think it was a 2.1 or something trillion dollar act to uh, prop up the economy, uh, um, small businesses, large businesses, unemployment uh, because of COVID. Um, and it, it was slapped together. There was a lot of complaints that it was you know very heavily weighted towards large businesses. Um, I think people didn't really, in the Congress, I mean, you didn't, seem to understand what, what the bill really was or how it would be utilized by large businesses versus smaller businesses. It was very hard for smaller businesses to get the loans to keep their employees, um, uh, you know, paid, but large businesses dollars was that <laughs> depends who you ask, but it was a couple trillion dollars in and of itself. And then at least twice that, if not many more multiples of that because of, the access to fed funds on the part of the larger businesses that would, could, you know, take that money is essentially a down payment on more money that was then created as in terms of forms of loans. So that was probably somewhere estimated to be about $4 trillion just for large companies or more or estimated as high as 10, but that, but anyway, you had 
That doesn't seem Some, fair. Four trillion. You had. I wonder how much for big companies. Three hundred fifty billion for small businesses who are struggling. That's There's a lot of issues with that you could get into. The thing I, I think I um think it was most troubling about it was that it was the Democrats brought up how this would could they called it a slush fund at the time and they said that it could be uh, kind of taken advantage of by if you know if Trump weren't watched carefully and stuff. So they mm-hmm. created an oversight position, which was a Trump appointee. And then mm-hmm. the second that the bill was passed, that was their compromise, supposedly. The second that the bill was passed, they pretended to be shocked that Trump could fire his own appointee. <laughs> and then suddenly there was no oversight for the trillions of dollars for big businesses. Oh, God. It's hard not to see that as theatrics. In other words, when a lot of the beneficiaries of that money were Democratic donors, in addition to Republican donors, um, at least the leadership of the Democrat DNC had like who? Both parties have big, big money donors, corporate donors, and they were all benefiting from this. And and big stockholders, you know, people invest in heavily in stocks, which is not your average American had, you know, interest in keeping these large corporations and thus the you know the stock markets propped up so um when when you think about that (laughs) and you see a very tepid kind of uh uh kind of resistance put to uh, up toward uh, by the democrats in terms of like you know whether or not they should pass this bill. And then they went ahead and passed it. Mm-hmm. You can make, you can either look at that two ways. Either they were duped and stupid or ignorant, or it was a jaded play. It was, you know, they were able to say, oh no, we're going to pass this law <laughs> because we have to. And the Republicans have us over, a, you know, they've got us where they want us. Mm-hmm. I think my version of it is it's both. I think some of the lower level people when they were interviewed really didn't understand how that money would be used. They don't understand the financial system. They don't understand how loans to large businesses are made by the Fed. It's beyond their pay grade in, in a sense, or at least beyond their you know knowledge level. Um, I, I can't believe that the leadership didn't know. I think that they likely knew and it plays into, they could have their cake and eat it too. They could let the people that really aren't paying attention who just read the New York Times and CNN, uh, you know, say, oh, well, they did what they could. And it lets, you know, and then the other people, maybe the, I don't know, certain progressives or whoever are kind of really paying attention. People maybe on the further on the left would complain about it, but they're kind of out, you know, not in favor and out of power in some degree. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the day, it really, it just seems like one more example of kind of fake (laughs) fake conflict which is more a conflict over power and who's going to hold it distribution yeah than it is the same crime they both want the same thing (laughs) yeah who gets the dole out and you know i i the thing that i I, it's interesting i think encouraging is that i hear the same this is this is traditionally a kind of i guess you i hate to use any terms these days but it would have been because they're so loaded and mean different things but it's kind of a a liberal slash progressive school of thought. However, I fear more and more people on the right, especially what might be called the, um, I guess you'd call it the populist, right? For lack of a better term, 
basically saying a lot of the same things in terms of the corruption. So I, I think that people are on to this. It's just the people in power have no desire for this to change because they're doing so damn well. While the rest right. of us are left, you know, fighting over the scraps and they don't mind if we turn on each other. And, you know, traditionally the left has complained about how the South and the South historically, they would play, you know, poor whites against poor minorities, poor blacks that, I think they're doing the same thing now, you know? So, yeah. Uh, Would you say your background is on the left? My background on the, I'm, I'd say I'm an independent liberal. Yeah. That's probably where I've been. You know, I voted Nader first time around because I, I would have, I'd liked Clinton at the time. Um, I didn't like Bush all through the Bush years. Uh, I kind of got disenchanted because I didn't see the, the, I saw, saw the left stop being liberal. Yeah, um, it seemed that was my problem too. Yeah, and yeah, well, I'm glad I don't seem seem so crazy saying that because I say that around here and people don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, I see it, so it's nice to hear somebody, you like uh, some of the other people on the server, uh, confirm that I'm not insane. So that's nice. I think uh, it's nice to be able to have a difference of opinion. You know, I mean, I think there's there's room in the world for differing opinions about things. Um, something, something as complicated as an economic system or yeah. the weather system of a planet. Like I, I, I don't, I, I want clean air and I want, you know, longevity of, you know, steward, good stewardship of this planet, just like everybody else. But, you know, for somebody who doesn't think scientifically in any sense, to school me on you know, the complexity of the weather system of something like a planet, you know, or economics or political systems like they have all the answers just that that they've got it all figured out yeah uh, it's just like i, I i'm not going to take your word for it uh, i see these things as extraordinarily complicated and i i i don't i don't have time to study it myself um you say you've got one you've got uh i don't want to go too deep into that um i do think we need to be make our systems more and more efficient as best we can. Um, we can't go to a hundred percent renewable stuff yet. Um, we're seeing problems in California right now with, uh, energy, I think, um, have, or have you seen anything, um, about, yeah, they had a lot of not in Los Angeles, but they had a lot of, of blackouts, which they haven't had in about 20 years, um, on some of the hottest days. And I think it was just an irresponsible, uh, kind of the way they transitioned to renewables um, while at the same time shutting down nuclear power plants. Yeah, um, yeah. they leapt which... lip before they looked. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and you know, it's <laughs> you got you to gotta be responsible when you're making these transitions. I, it, it's a good place, you know, on one hand, it's a, one of the best places in the world for solar um, mm-hmm. if, if it makes any sense, sense anywhere, it makes sense here. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and you know, a lot of people are doing quite well with their solar in their homes. Um, increasingly, I think it's mandated now in new homes in most cool. areas, okay. but yeah. And it's, you know, it's cost efficient, cost effective. I mean, but, but, um, yeah, I, I can't blame, claim to be an expert in any of that, yeah. <laughs> but I, I agree that like, you know, 
you just there needs to be more open conversation. I think there's a lot of bullying going on right now, and I find it repugnant. I find it repugnant when people try to silence people or to to align people as people are trying to always find out some which side somebody's on on things yes. you know yes that's it's like, like you meet so somebody I don't have... and they ask you or they'll bring up a political story and you can tell which side they're on by which story they bring up or how they, or how they bring it up so you know sometimes you just don't want to play into their game sometimes if you're an independent you would piss off either one um i find myself in that situation a lot even though i consider myself pretty liberal <laughs> i i consider myself more of a progressive conservative or conservative progressive in the sense that I do think that we need to make good significant changes in certain areas, but we need to do things cautiously, not just rip the rug out from underneath um, institutions and not just minimize them so we can get, eventually get rid of them. I think some things will always need, we'll always need police to some extent. Um, not just, you know, cause what, keep things safe when you know stuff goes wrong um even if we do reach utopia which we we're not going to but you know say we did um you're still gonna uh have you know robot sharks or something you're gonna have to shoot lasers at (laughs) you know just use your imagination people that's what people think that you know they they just have this catch-all thing and i can think of like just imagine 10 things why that wouldn't work you know and they haven't tried to think of anything that's frustrating. I just get frustrated when people, I think, get a bit lazy and try to figure out which side you're on based on almost litmus tests all the time now. Um, it's like they can I used smell. It's like a sense. They're trying to sniff you out. Yeah, and I think we've been all been kind of um, trained into thinking that way. Partly, I think it's because of our political system here. I don't think it's healthy to have a two-party system. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. I think wish there was some way, some way of uh, addressing that within without opening up a constitutional convention, which would be a scary prospect for all sides. So, mm-hmm. um, but just you know, in other countries, you can have, you can be slightly different than some other people and have a different party and then form coalitions. And you know, I, you know, most of the time, I would say I probably find myself to the left of the Democratic Party. But in ways that many yeah. people than the Republican Party probably would agree with, it's a very strange thing, and I, I, it, I think it's the two-party system opens itself up to corruption much more readily than a multi-party system because there's only two parties you have to own, mm-hmm. you know. But it also it also seems to really drive people into two camps. It just plays into the worst elements of human nature: it's us versus them versus you know, I've got six parties on the left I can pick from or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I know there's this weaknesses to that system too, but I think these are we're finding right now how just how fragile our system can be. Yeah. Usually when you find yourself in alignment with people on the right, it's usually the libertarian types because you're talking about several civil liberties and the, the DNC, the DNC and the RNC aren't written into the, law anywhere that they have to exist I, to my knowledge i'm pretty sure they don't nope. Nope. <laughs> so i mean that does, it wouldn't require a, an act of congress or you know just take back those organizations or dispel them because they're even separate than the democratic party the dnc and the republic party and the rnc 
and we've got other parties too. Uh, usually they throw up, you know, kind of their, their attempts are kind of a joke, but you take the big money out of it. It's just, there's so much money flowing. You know that there has to be somebody with, with their hand in the cookie jar. Because yeah. just human nature, it's just going to happen. Um, well, we know there is. I mean, we know how the, it's just a fact that the, you know, lobbyists are involved in writing most legislation. Uh, in, in fact, often <laughs> independently uh, of the legislative, you know, apparatus. So uh, I, I just have a hard time seeing that as it nearly is easy to pull off if you have multiple parties. But um, I just see a number of issues. And I think one is that they, the two party system plays into that us versus them. It plays into just kind of some elements of tribalism, I think that are more ingrained in us than others might be. And it would be, in other words, um, you know, it's harder to, if, if you can so simply know that you're on team A or team B and you're trying to always categorize which side is this person on? Are they good or are they bad? Are they in or are they out? Mm-hmm. And they each have their that's, own system of morality. Yeah, that's too easy though. If you if it were a system like, you know, in some European countries where you have 12, 16, 15, 16 political parties, it's really just a lot harder to do that. And these are stable countries like the Netherlands. And... Yeah, Israel is a pretty stable country. You know? yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so... Um, there's no, it's just because I think of anything, I'd say put it this way. I say they're probably newer democracies and democracies in ours. Um, and maybe a little bit more sophisticated or, or a lot more sophisticated in some cases. Um, Mm -hmm. and so anyway, that's my, my kind of where I'm at right now and what I know that seems to be the case. Um, we need more options. We need fresh how we choose our candidates. It's just like who gets to raise the most money and then who looks the best, who, who gets the best interviews, gets the best, you know, spots on the campaign circuit and sound bites. And then who gets to look the best on three nights where they debate things. And you know what they're going to say ahead of time. Because you already know they're completely predictable yeah. human beings. They're 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 scripted, and it's it's every you know some politicians deliberate over every syllable to make sure it's in line with what they've the lies they've told before. It's almost like <laughs> well, think how the everything's set up. So you have two parties. That's it. That's the choice. Is there anything other than that is considered third party is considered just you know. Uh, something that siphons off vote from that side, whatever your side you're on. And then you have systems of generating candidates that are incredibly are designed to control the process, right? So you don't just have a primary across the country. Everybody just votes on who they want. You have a, a slow rolling primary system that is designed to enable the parties and shape to and you know, shape. manipulate who gets, yeah, it, it literally, I mean, of course, the excuse is that they enable people to, the candidates to go and, you know, or an excuse is that they enable candidates to go and campaign in that state before they, you know, 
or elected. Maybe that made more sense back in the day, but I, this day and age, it doesn't seem like there's any reason to have the poll, you know, this, yeah. this type everybody of has access can to the same news, get around. But there's an interesting thing in that too. Everybody has the access. They get the same internet services. They get the same um, channels if they get cable or, you know, if they've got a Roku, they have access to everything that you can download on Roku or browse on your computer. But nobody sees the same information that any that the other half of the country does. They get their news sources are completely yeah. different. They get one's half of the facts and the other side gets the other half of the facts that fit their narrative. And they they can't agree on basic terms, you know, uh, basic what mm -hmm. words mean. And they want, uh, there's no, there's no wonder that people can't are so frustrated with one another. How many times have you heard? I can't understand why somebody would vote that way. Or I can't understand why somebody would think this about this certain thing. Well, they've got a completely separate, different working on a completely right. different set of suppositions than you are. It's a Tower of Babel type scenario. That's insane. I, that's crazy. When I mean, think about it, that's social media. Well, think about you know, a couple of things that have happened in recent years. And I think people on the left don't want to hear what's happened with the mainstream media. But it, I would encourage people to think of it this way. Fox News established itself as a very <laughs> profitable business model um, by pretending to be news while spinning a narrative. Um, I don't think that, you know, I think it really depends. People deluded themselves, I believe, on the right into thinking that it was news because mm -hmm. it told them what they wanted to hear. And it, and it built on the narrative that was in this narrative this that made people angrier and angrier the more they heard about how the messed up the left was. And at the same time, think about how CNN and MSNBC were suffering during the period that Fox was thriving. These are mm -hmm. corporations, not nonprofits. They're, they're, they're profit-making corporations, or at least they were trying to be. And they were watching Making Fox millions, News. Billions. And then they became Fox News. They think about, if you don't think they became Fox News, the question is, why would they not? <laughs> they became Fox News on the left. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like I like to refer people. I I like to refer people to go back and watch uh, Rachel Maddow interview John Stewart, and she's asking for pointers, and he's like, "Please, we don't need another Fox News." And she's like, "Why?" And and she's asking like, "How to do the fake news?" He's like, "I'm not. I don't the fake news. That's not helping America." You know, he he's like trying to downplay, it, and she's so disappointed. Because she thought she was gonna, you know, get the Fox News's secret sauce, or you know, because the Daily Show certainly had seemed to have Fox yeah. News figured out because they they their comedy against it was so fantastic. Um, that that was criticism that was being critical in a very productive way. Comedy has a way of doing that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think everybody should if they think they trust their news source. Think about two things. Think about people with Fox listening to Fox News on the right for years, mm -hmm. I think have been duped by this, this new so-called news service into believing it that what they were being given told or what they're being fed was reality. 
I see the same thing happening on the left now. I see complete, you know, feeding people what they want to hear and only what they want to hear, filling a narrative, filling out a narrative and ignoring everything else, which should trouble the hell out of anybody in a democracy, because how do you, how do you, how do you keep an educated populace? How do you, we're, it is our job as citizens in a democracy to be educated on what our leaders are doing and what's going on in our society so that we can make educated decisions when we choose our leaders, when we go to the ballot box. If we're not, if we're not continually um, making sure our yeah, news sources story. are being honest, then how do we know? Yeah, that we're getting the whole story. Then how are we being, um, you know, citizen? Or how are we fulfilling our duties as citizens? And I, so I would challenge anybody should you take a week and just double check every story look at what the read other the side article. is saying look for raw video make, on make, twitter make sure or youtube the, the last paragraph yep. still start reading the whole articles the mm-hmm. what is europe reporting on it and, and I, I i guarantee that if you approach it with an open mind yes. and you're really seeking the truth you're going to be quite surprised and again this doesn't take any type of conspiracy this takes profit seeking yeah, you know there's a defensiveness when you do try to point out, show a piece of evidence to somebody who's very entrenched, they don't want to see it. It's almost like they're trained. They get suspicious mm-hmm. like it is Fox News or something. Um, when it's just being critical and saying, hey, this doesn't match what they said right above it. You know, you point that sort of thing out. And yeah. You should be able to take in information, you know, you should have some, a good BS filter. You know, I think most people are capable of that. I, I, I know the people I'm talking about do, I know they do, but they refuse to evaluate evidence. Like it's almost like I, I consider it like, you know, you drop a ball through a Rube Goldberg machine. It spins off this thing and this is your evaluations and it gets weighed at some point. And, you know, based on its weight, it rolls down this way, but I can offer evidence to somebody and I see it drop straight through them. No reaction in the eyes. It's not evaluated and they can't repeat back to me what I'm trying to say yeah. accurately or they'll misrepresent or, yeah. or they'll cha- or they'll, you know, they've got it wrong what I'm trying to say backwards, I'm trying to be as crystal clear and right. I don't know how that happens. And it's the same pattern speaking with people that don't know each other. It, I don't know how they all learn the same script. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, this is something that I've seen mm-hmm. on the right for mm-hmm. as long as I can remember, you know, which is, there's this defensiveness there are these kind of things people learn to say when challenged and just to fall back on a lot of us yeah but or whatever um there's just it's just a lot of the same kind of unconscious rhetorical tricks that are used to defend a position or really what it feels like is an immune response from taking in information that contradicts what they want what they consider the, the truth um, and I think that that's, there's probably something we all have, you know, that's something that we all have to be careful of. Some of us may be 
was it Jonathan Haidt that did work on Disgust, or was that somebody else? Is it Haidt? Uh, right. I, yeah, I can't remember. Haidt and Disgust. Um, that's something. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. H A I D T. Jonathan Haidt. Disgust. Yeah, but I, I think um, it's very religious. It's because it's the same thing. Um, inhabits the same space. Yes, the same pressures you'd get from somebody who's. Uh, you 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 had some experience with the fundamentalist Christianity growing up, right? Um, so like, there's like, yeah. you believe this, don't you? Or that's kind of like you can't say no. It's kind of like the way they put it to you. Well, you know, it, are you familiar with that? The way it evidences in that space traditionally is that people, if you start to have a conversation where it veers towards something that might mm-hmm. challenge core tenets of the faith, whatever their faith is, they will attempt to find a way to shut down the conversation by de- just automatically. In other words, there's an emotional response that's triggered. They want to shut down the conversation because they can't stomach where it might go. And I think that's what we see now from people on either side of the political spectrum. They're so bought into this point of view as, as a member of the public, as a member of their team, that they can't even contemplate that they're not right. If you bring up some piece of evidence that contradicts it and it's gotten extreme and that's dangerous, you know, because we've got to be able to talk with the other side. Neither of us has it. Nobody and no side, no party has it completely right all the time. It's ridiculous to think so. Right. I'm totally willing to accept criticism of my ideas. I don't want to take personal criticism because I don't like there are there'll be there'll be implications that you know there's something deep dark wrong with you you know because they because you don't think along the same lines they do right and it's like hey that that's not fair play you know criticize my ideas you know for crying out loud you know yeah. me you know what kind of person i am yeah um uh, yeah it, it, it's absolutely fair to criticize ideas and to have you know that's how you, you should yeah. i think embrace being wrong because, you know, that's how you actually learn in life. I mean, if you're, if you're right all the time, having conversations with other people that agree with you only, then you don't ever advance. You don't ever really get closer to the truth. And I think that's really what we've lost. But I think that there's, there's so much belief in both mm-hmm. sides of the aisle that they're right. And at the same time, it's ironic because, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. I don't think the leaders buy any of this on either party. And I think maybe what people on the right seemed to want to think Trump was, or he was advertised as was something that was outside of the system that he was going to shake it up somehow. And then he didn't very much, at least what I can tell. He just basically did more, more of the same. So, um, I mean, you know, I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody on the right, I don't think he did what they They don't seem to care very much or hoped he would do. At the same time, I think that it's, well, I think there's a lot of fear of what's yeah. going on on the left. And I can't say that it's not justified because yeah. I think there's a lot of craziness going on. Yeah. I, I don't even know. I don't hate to call it even the left anymore because I don't think it's liberal and I don't even agree that it's I felt myself any form of progress. I mean, like I, I think I actually anybody, and, you know, I, I realized I, I, I don't belong. Maybe, yeah, maybe slightly center right on some things. But for the most part, you know, I belong on the left. That's that's where I grew up. That's where I, you know, 
you could think of certain policies, right? I have never changed on mm-hmm. most of my core policies that make sense to me. I, I healthcare seems like it's something that's better handled by public yeah. and or nonprofit yeah. sectors, certainly not for profit sector. I don't see any evidence anywhere, right? Um, I, I think that education needs to be widely accessible. It's the essential in a democracy. Yeah, we, we have to have opportunity as widely distributed as possible. I, I think I think that um, I also always believe that we should focus on rehabilitation um, above all else with the criminal justice system and not to you know mm-hmm. ever focus on retribution. Uh, I think that's you know to me all essential. That I think we failed on um, all those I'm, counts. I'm, I think could use some work and uh, that. Uh, Take the uh, work work allowability, yeah. the slave labor out of prison labor, because um, there is some argument there that right as slavery was abolished, that slavery was made illegal for prison populations, and that behooves the government to have a, right. <coughs> a free labor source and get people arrested. Yeah, but that's that's a terrible incentive. I mean, but that's moral hazard. One (laughs) one of the big things they'll point to in saying that there is structural racism, and I'm even though the people that set set that up may be long dead, uh, there are people that definitely profit from it now. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I I just don't like that term because it's so vague. I mean, um, I think that if you're going to improve things, you need to be specific. You know, they want to use it like a chainsaw or a flamethrower when it should be used as like a scalpel or a laser yeah because you just don't want to rip out entire institutions you know there yeah. there are reasons to have people separated no, from I, society. Don't, I um yeah some people are just not not right now they you know if they're biting people's heads off you know they've got to we got to do something with them um i think that you know it's one thing to be progressive and to want to work the point is you make progress. It can be incremental right. progress. It has to, right. because you don't want to make things worse by changing things. And it's a whole Radical. other thing to be uh, any form. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, to be a, a, a utopian yeah. because that's religious thought. There's no such thing as utopia. Um, and any time that anybody's been a utopian, this is what the oh, yeah. fascists were, the Nazis policies. were, the... You know, the, all the communist Marxist Leninists, the, you know, the revolutionary variants of that today utopia. are utopian forms of government. Yeah, these are all the worst can work. governments. The in only history. thing that works is constant compromise and meeting at the meeting in the middle. You know, not everybody has to be in the middle. Maybe nobody is truly yeah. in the middle, but that's where you meet. That's where you make compromise. That's where you learn to live with your neighbor. Yeah. And that's where I mean, I find where I would diverge from the right is I think there's this big fear in the right that there's this that that mm-hmm. there's a slow slide into Marxism or something like that. And they look at what Europe is adjacent to it. And I don't see that at all. I see that Marxism happens and, and any type of these isms and fascism, Nazism, they all arise out of violent and the restriction of civil liberties, revolutions, whatever, that, because that's the only way you can restriction of civil liberties you do not get a communist system or a marxist system or a fascist no. system through an right. evolutionary process what in history at least uh, that i can think of 
And I think it's far more likely, you know, that you yeah. set the table for it by shutting people up and shutting people down, yeah. you know. Those things don't happen as long as there's freedom of expression. I mean, it, it was, we may have freedom of exactly. expression now, but value. a lot of people do not feel free to express themselves. I mean, we got to change that. Yeah. Well, if you're punished for it, yeah, if you're punished for it, if you can't make a living. And I mean, what I really despise right now on the left is uh, some people like to uh, call themselves liberals or leftists and yet kind of take joy in Sick. people getting thrown under the bus yeah. to where they lose their health care, they lose their job, they lose their 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 ability to make money yeah. and they're thrown to the wolves by our system so the very system that they're critiquing mm -hmm. for being having no safety net for a weak safety net right. they're they're utilizing that as the punishment and that's disgusting you know that's not liberal people should be ashamed of themselves for having those thoughts those are i mean when anytime yeah that somebody screws up they should lose their ability to you know provide for their family or maybe if they're even single you know just live uh, yeah. Right. To have health health care, you know, it's like when you, when you cancel somebody for something mm -hmm. and you know yeah. you're taking away their health care, what kind of person are you? You know what I mean? It's like, because a lot of this stuff is just simply, I don't like what you're saying and I'm being histrionic. I'm being melodramatic about his impact, right? Have you gotten the cancel culture doesn't exist? But, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. But people know people get canceled. People know people get whatever. They, I don't care what you want to call it. People losing the ability to make a living because they're publicly shamed. I don't believe that somebody who, you know, makes, I don't believe that somebody who does something really, you know, screwed up and yeah. goes to prison should lose the ability to make a living. I don't believe that we should, you know, ruin their life. Why the hell would I believe that somebody who tweets something when, you know, five years ago should lose the ability to make it? That's insanity. You know, and people that think that way really should be ashamed of themselves. They really need to reevaluate mm. their, their, you know, their their mm. moral compass. Um, and I, but that's really, you know, I find the hypocrisy there hard to stomach because you're you're knowing that you're utilizing the system that you mm. are criticizing as a form of punishment. You know what I mean? That, in other words, we're not living in a social democracy. We're not, or you know, one where people yeah. have the ability. You know, if you lose your job, you still have your health insurance. There's a strong unemployment you know system there's you know that can get you an extra there's some sort of retraining we know we don't have that and so at the same time if you have sympathy if you believe in prison reform if you believe in we shouldn't have a vindictive criminal justice system that it should be one focused on rehabilitation if you believe we should have sentencing reform how can you in good conscience not you know how can you even tacitly support this cancel culture yeah. nonsense. Um, it's not uncommon to, I've gotten in the past year that it doesn't exist, that Antifa doesn't exist. That, that one woman on the server, uh, uh, she's in Berkeley. I mentioned that she laughed out loud. That some people, people here think that Antifa doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, you can listen to, I mean, they're, they're there's throwing video throwing multiple cocktails and the, you know, professional grade fireworks, which are small explosives at police, shining flashlights that are strong enough to set things on fire in some cases. You can definitely light a match. 
into federal officers' eyes while they're trying to put out a fire on the outside of their building from the roof. They're trying to blind them with lasers while they're trying to put out a fire yeah, on this their stuff building exists. that they set, that the, that the rioters <laughs> set. Blind them for life. And as much as we wish this didn't exist, it exists, right? I, I mean, because these people claim to have something in common with me, because they claim to have to want exactly. actual justice doesn't mean that they do. Um, I, and if you care about more than just posturing, uh, I hate to use any you know catchphrases, but really just think of it. You care about more than posturing and how you are perceived. You actually do care. That's wrong about other people's lives, and you have to know the truth. You know you have to be able to face the truth, and the truth is that. This is nothing new historically. Anarchists emerge in, throughout history and that they're a dangerous force. Um, they're a dangerous force on the right, they're a dangerous force on the left. You know? So I, I, it's really people need to. I, I, I can understand the point of view of, of, of you know, yeah. getting so yeah, angry. I was so right. angry to that because I share it. Um, I still am angry, you know. I mean, I, I can't. The, the fact that the Demo Republicans are trying still have court case active, trying to to mm -hmm. dismantle the Obamacare, which is the bare the minimum best they could get past care reform, which is a, you know a conservative version of healthcare. Right. The fact that they're actively trying to promote or to to or they're actively supporting the Trump administration is actively supporting that mm -hmm. that what that now legislation that case as it advances towards the supreme court which is from anything i've read about it is a completely bogus case um advanced mm -hmm. by a completely partisan judge yeah and that's unforgivable to me i mean that unconscionable i should say to me i, I don't understand it um i think it's just further corruption of course but that doesn't mean that everything that comes out of people, just because people on the, i see that as a huge blind spot on the right that doesn't mean that everything people say on the right is you know wrong or that it's and then you know one further step towards uh you know the next hitler it's it, that's nuts too so i mean th these things are possible these are always possible that you know we should always never think that this can't happen that we can never think that um you can't have a fascist government you can't have a you know a marxist leninist takeover because these know, things haven't happened in the past and uh, I think it's important to know that a significant here. percentage of the people I know on the progressive activist left, let me subcategorize them, have suggested to me that they see some sort of civil civil war on the horizon. And it's almost kind of like they it's so predetermined for them. And I think we need to do everything we can to prevent that sort of thing, because I don't think people know how bad that would be. And on the other side of that, especially in a power vacuum, the left, the far left and the far right, the extremes are going to grab for power. And you don't want any extreme far left or far right to get yeah. power over this country. How can you tolerate the idea, the concept? How can you toy with the concept casually of a, Going through a, civil war. a nuclear power? <laughs> going through a civil war you know the thought of russia undergoing a civil war would be catastrophic but especially you know 
the United States where you live? And, and what is so bad here? If you're really buying into this mythology, that, that this, this, this narrative, I should say, that it's so bad that that's justified, I think you really got to take another look at yourself and look at look around. Look you. at what how what is life like here? Look around you. What is life here for the the poorest in society? And while we need to make advances, is it going to be better for any and all of us in a situation like in, Syria? In history, there's you know, only one thing. Currently, that, there's only a few things that absolutely set everybody at the same. You know, there's a great disparity between rich and the poor the only there's only ever in history been a few things that set everybody on equal terms and that's mass death or starvation or warfare where everybody dies and the ones left over are are in a decimated world and then they are truly all have they have an equal chance which isn't great well we've seen how this plays out very recently you know i mean when you have a country like Syria, where you know civil war is a civil war within society, it's society turning on itself, and that you know we're completely spread out in terms of like the right. The, there's not red and blue. It's states. not a dividing there's, line. You know, blue cities and red, red outside of cities, and and there. And on top of that, there's just absolutely no reason to ever even. Mm-hmm. consider that as an option mm-hmm. uh, we're so far from that and, and everybody anybody who's telling you that's not the case is either you know i would say seriously <laughs> suffering delusional on one hand mm-hmm. or some form of utopian and i mean like i said and- utopians are the most dangerous people on the planet it's like I said before, we have a choice in how we act in our individual lives that lead towards that thing or the other. Um, but to want to say that it just lends, gives it a little bit, gets us a little bit closer to breathing that into existence. I don't even like, I don't even like bringing it up, but you have to talk about it because people are, you have to remind them how much a horrible thing that is. Um, it's like this predetermined I, I, thing. Like, yeah, I, I know. Did I, did I, I, really, I already it, speak about how Christians would try to get you to, um, uh, I, I should say, fundamentalist Christians want you to think of uh, a rapture and end times, that there is this predetermined conflict. Yeah. And then on the other side, there's eternal peace. Or it's, it's the same type yeah. of thinking. Yes. Same utopian thinking. It is. It's just the only, I mean, the only difference is that they're, instead of having uh, this, you know, utopia and the afterlife, it's we're going to have a utopia on earth, but neither of these groups has any clue how you get there. At least the people who believe that it's going to be in an afterlife think there's some sort of magical pathway there. Well, they believe in a world where there's magic. Well, I, I kind of believe um, in a little bit of magic, <clears throat> a little bit, but it's the people. But but the that's, only thing that's guaranteed a separate issue from, though, from people civil conflict is hell, and it will be hell f- for at least a little while. And well, the fact that something the perfect government's well, going to come out the on the other side is slim to none. Do those people uh, believe? It's in like magic. a magical. That's the question. <clears throat> 
because yeah. yeah, I would say yes, but they won't admit it. I'd say that you know if if you critique fundamentalists in religion who believe that magic's going to get you to the utopia in an afterlife, what on earth do you think? It's you know the the, the explanation is for people on the far left. It's the step two in the underpants gnomes. Like phase one, collect underpants. Phase three, profit. What's phase two? There is no phase two. You ask them what, okay, what's the process? They don't don't know. Well, we know what it was in Marxist-Leninism was dictatorship of the proletariat. If it was my... They didn't get it right. Communist... So utopia, you know, I'll do what the uh, well, the guy that went to Mexico. No, you know, it makes no sense chance. because yeah. just play that game out in your head. You give power yeah. to one person or one group of people, and then when they fail, <laughs> you keep giving it to them because you have no choice. You know, so in other words, utopia is going to come about because of faith in an individual you have to realize human nature and that's what the beauty yeah. of what our our country was founded on you know is that they understood human nature because they saw their own flaws yeah. and they set out i think they set on a course to correct for their own flaws because they 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 saw what was wrong with society at the time i believe in specific regards to slavery, because they wanted to set out to get rid of it, it seems like. Um, that was an inevitability. They already saw it happening in England. They had, There was just such an entrenched part of the economy in the South that they couldn't just let go of it, I think. But you get you get incremental changes. Right. You know, uh, you know, abolition didn't happen everywhere at once. It happened in England first, and right. then it happened elsewhere. And you know, arguably, you know, we still have slaves today here and there in different types of situations. But uh, um, well, there absolutely are in other countries. You know, it's it's something yeah. that's still not purged. But um, you know, I I think there's a difference between you know holding yourself up to a mirror and simply yeah. looking at the defects. You know, I mean, there's there's a there's a um, a kind of mentally unhealthy way mm-hmm. of looking at yourself in the mirror. And uh, psychologically, we'd say there's something wrong with you if you look at somebody that looks at yourself in the mirror and only sees the defects. They only see the lines. They that's only see good. their imperfections. Mm-hmm. They don't see what other people see, right? You'd say that's not mentally healthy. They have a mm-hmm. self-image issues at the very best. But yet that's what we're doing as a country. We're, we're letting people only point out our weakest points, our worst points, our worst moments, the worst I mean, we've accomplished attributes some pretty of people amazing that things. lived. And, you know, starvation, yeah. like world hunger worldwide, it's been cut in half since 2000. Where it was in the year 2000, I think it's somewhere like yeah. cut in half. You know, we've made tremendous strides. Yeah. Uh, violent crime is actually down like 30% or something in the past 50 or 60 years. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Progress can be made and is being made. I I think, you know, the, the secret seems to be letting focusing 
our efforts on what's real and not what's mm -hmm. imagined or desired to be real and not to be misled by people mm -hmm. that want mm -hmm. to mislead us for their own profit. That's the key because we're, we're, we're simply being manipulated by very wealthy interests. We all know it. I mean, people on the left, we know that the wealthy interests control the government and yet somehow we forget that they, yeah. they control our side. Um, you know, but maybe, you know, the progressive left doesn't believe, forget that, but then they'll, they'll, you know, side, saddle up, you know, they'll, they'll side with that. Those they'll, they'll mm -hmm. unite with the corrupt left, the corporatist left for pragmatic yeah. reasons Funny, and then yeah. become that, you know, I, I think that, um, you got to keep remembering that there are, you know, you're not, there are reasons why people want you yeah. to be at the other side's throat. And um, just just think about how Obamacare came to be. It, it was it was orchestrated from the right and the left to turn everybody against each other and end up with just enough to yeah. keep healthcare from imploding, but not enough yeah. to cut into profits what a, what a too nice much. Story. <laughs> nice bedtime story. It's a nice bedtime story. I guess that is a good place to call it a night for tonight. That's almost an hour and a half. But uh, there's yeah. no shortage of things to talk about. We'll, we'll probably be on here again soon if this, if this works out and Scott's amenable That's to true. it. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Um, <laughs> is there any crazy... Maybe, maybe oh, next time no we get problems. into some Hollywood stories. My pleasure. You know, tell me a little bit about the, <laughs> what's going on in Hollywood these days. All right. Well... Thank you again for talking to me. And I guess we're going to sign off here for tonight. This has been oddreflections.com. I'm your host, Brian. And with me, my friend, Scott. Say goodbye, Scott. Good night. Goodbye, everyone. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.